for me, it was the best career move I've ever made. It changed my life in a substantial way. I mean, my, my, the quality of living for my family, mm. uh, my immediate family, and then now I can even see for the legacy that it's going to leave behind has changed dramatically. So what I would say is if you're interested in it, pursue it. Mm-hmm. Step out on faith, which is what I did at the time. I stepped out on faith and said, look, I'm going to do this because I don't know if I said this part. But when I did start working. Boss Uncaged is a biweekly podcast that releases the origin stories of business owners as they become uncaged trailblazers, unconventional thinkers, untethered trendsetters and unstoppable tycoons. We always hear about overnight success stories, never knowing that it took 20 years to become a reality. Our host, S.A. Grant, conducts narrative accounts through the voices and stories behind Uncaged Bosses. In each episode, guests from a wide range of backgrounds sharing diverse business insights. Learn how to release your primal success through words of wisdom from inspirational entrepreneurs and industry experts as they depict who they are, how they juggle their work life with family life, their successful habits, business expertise, tools, and tips of their trade. Release the uncaged boss beast in you. Welcome our host, S.A. Grant. Welcome back to Boss Uncaged Podcast. On today's show, we have Condaleo Day. He's a financial advisor, but he's many other things. And I'm going to give him an opportunity to kind of break you guys down to what his expertise is and his background. So welcome to the show. T, how you doing, man? Hey, I'm doing awesome, Chanel. It's good to see you, brother. Definitely, definitely. So, I mean, I know who you are. I've known you for like 20 years, literally at this point, right? At least, yeah. Yeah. So who are you, man? Officially, what who I am is Tondaleo Day Financial Advisor. That's the title that's on my business card, on my website. But I like to tell people I'm also a wealth manager because I do manage big, wealthy individuals, affluent individuals, high net worth individuals. I'm a retirement specialist. That's the bulk of my business is my older clientele that is rolling over, ready to retire. Some folks might just equate it to a stockbroker because I do a lot of stock investing for my clients who are interested in that. But anything financial, life insurance, uh, estate planning, all of those things are encompassed within that financial advisor role. And just real briefly, I mean, as you said, you know me for quite a bit. Yeah. I'm a big family guy, big community activist, I guess, if you want to say that. But definitely just a, a family guy. Love my business. And on the lighter side, I'm a music connoisseur. Love my music as well, you know, and and have a few different hobbies I get into. So that gives you a little brief snapshot of who I might be. Got you. So if you could define yourself in three to five words, what words would that be? Mm. Father, God-fearing, excellence, Mm. compassionate. You know, I like to say that we all have superpowers, so we're going to say superpowers. We're going to put that in there, too. It's funny that, that you said superpower because it's like one of my bonus questions. And since you brought it up, I might as well just jump ahead of it. We'll jump back a little bit. So I usually like come up with this, this general question and say, if you could be a superhero, who would it be and why? So honestly, man, I'm a brother all the way through. So I just feel like black people as a race, mm-hmm. as a people, we have superpowers that have come through ancestrally. You know what I'm saying? It's a legacy. It's in our blood. Think about the things we've endured first and foremost. Mm-hmm. And think about what we have to do to be where we are successfully, mm-hmm. whether it's athletics, whether it's um, music and singing and putting words together with hip hop, whether it's mm-hmm. technology. I mean, honestly, we're super powered, brother. You look at those different things. So I'm that superhero. I am who I am. At this point, I manage about $55 million in assets. Um, my goal is 250 I want to get mm-hmm. to that quarter billion mark. But $55 million is definitely respectable for a period of time that I've had my practice here. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I'm at an accelerated pace. And I attribute that to God's gifts that he's given me in order to, one, connect with people because people have to trust me, right? Mm-hmm. And trust me to manage their, you know, their life savings. Mm-hmm. I have to build that connection in a very, very short period of time. And where people say, okay, here, I've saved 500000 for my entire life. 
here it is. You you take it and you do with it what you will, mm-hmm. you know, because they trust me. And to me, that's a superpower in itself. So I'm not going to give you a, you know, I love my Thors and my Hulks and all of that. You know what I mean? Yeah. The vision. And I'm a big Marvel comic book guy as well. I love my Marvel comics and all of that. But I love the superpowers that God gave me. Let's step back in time a little bit. I mean, when I first met you, I was actually a student at the Art Institute of Atlanta. Right. And you were like on the administrative staff and team. So coming from that, I know you was helping students find their way. You took some of that and now you're helping people with their wealth find their way. Like, how did that journey happen? How did you go from working in a school environment going into financial services? Yeah, yeah. It's crazy. So not to be offensive, I'm not a what you call a Bible thumper, Mm -hmm. but I definitely am a spiritual person. And I believe that the path that I've taken has already been kind of predestined. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. We don't see it in the past back when we're in the midst of it. But as I look back, I talk to people about this frequently that, so like you said, you met me late nineties, early, early 2000. Mm -hmm. Prior to that, I'm going to start with the, with prior to that, I worked for Sally Mae. So it's always been in finance. Okay, I work for Sally Mae. Most people, the audience knows who Sally Mae is. Who don't? Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> I work for Sally Mae, so I was dealing with debt at that time. And then I started. You know, that job led to working for the mm-hmm. state of Georgia and the Hope Scholarship, which then led to the Art Institute because of the relationships I built from job A to job B to now to the mm-hmm. Art Institute. And then that kind of just fine tuned me in terms of a counselor and being able to guide people and talk with people about finances, not only students, but parents. Mm -hmm. How are you going to afford this? Can we, what are you going to do once you're out? You know, how are you going to handle the debt and things of that nature? Mm -hmm. So to me, it was all kind of a a progression to get me to this point. There was a small time frame in between being the um, associate director at the Art Institute of Atlanta Decatur, Mm -hmm. which I opened you know, with the small staff did well when I was there. But in between, I started working for a company that did financial, what we call a CFP credential for financial advisors. And the tie-in was that that certification, I used to enroll them through universities like Duke University, Mm. Stanford, Loyola, Emory here in Atlanta, NYU, big business schools and you we would enroll so they get their credentials from those schools well in doing so edward jones who is where i run my business now through my practice through now was my client Mm. so i would go and fly to st louis and talk with their executive staff about getting the cfps and kind of broke down sort of what you learn in the CFP and how important it is for those advisors that felt like they needed that extra credential to bring in business and so forth. And they would always say, hey, man, you you really should consider coming on over here and being an advisor. You have all the intangibles that you need. You know, you have the background, et cetera. And eventually I said, because I was always comfortable in my corporate structure, but see, in this business, you are running your own business. Mm-hmm. So it's a matter of bringing folks in. I mean, Edward Jones is a partnership, so I don't get like a, I'm not a salary or anything like that. It's, mm-hmm. you know, I kill what I eat. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah. Anyway, make a long story short, I took that leap of faith mm-hmm. and it's just been extremely successful since then. But again, the path leading to it is what I needed to get to this point to be successful at what I do. Yeah, so it sounds like from the beginning, you started off on a journey to currently to where you are. And the irony is that, I mean, you and I had talked over in the last, like maybe 10 years or so. And, you know, I I got my licenses as well too. You know, I got my series six and got my insurances. So I definitely understand what you do and I commend it because like you said, you have to kill what you eat. I mean, there is income that comes in from that, but you also have to maintain that as well too. And keep going. Right, right, right. I, I started from scratch. Yeah. And I didn't know any wealthy people. And like I said, I'm at 55 million now, yeah. which is not a small feat. Mm-hmm. And that's assets under management? That's assets under management. So yes. when you break that down, so I mean, some people may not understand, you know, if we're talking about wealth, right, what is assets under management? So assets under management means earlier I said, you know, I handle people's rollovers. So somebody might roll over 
a half million dollars from their 401k plan. Mm-hmm. That means I've talked to them and they've said, I'm going to entrust you with this money. I'm retiring. I need that money to continue to grow. So that 500,000 is added to my assets under management. Gotcha. Right? Yep. I might uh, an athlete that gets a big contract and he says, Hey, I got this contract. Here's $2 million. I want it invested. That's under my assets under management. Mm-hmm. It might even be a life insurance policy that mm-hmm. is a crew. Now I might have a million dollar policy, but that doesn't count as assets under management, mm-hmm. but the premium and the accumulation of cash value does. Mm-hmm. So it's all the money that I have managing under my office mm-hmm. at this particular time. Mm-hmm. Now, Sometimes everybody loses a client here and there. So when money goes out, that'll bring your asset management down. down. Mm -hmm. But I've been fortunate that that rarely happened. It's very infrequent for me. And I've been able to continue to grow Mm. at a good clip. Well, I mean, anyway, under the rule of 72, right? I mean, the longer you have these clients over a period of time, that's going to grow. It's going to grow anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, It continues to grow. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, like I said, starting out from scratch from zero dollars mm. and then bringing in certain things that, yeah, that it, I've grown what I have, mm-hmm. like you just said. So just whether, like you said, the rule of 72, mm. just good quality investments and diversification mm. have allowed my assets to grow based on that. Mm. But on top of that, you have to continue to bring in new money. Gotcha. New yeah, assets. Yeah. And yeah. so that's kind of was my point about what I've built from scratch. So is that part, you know, once it's in, it's already an expectation on my part that it's going to grow. That's just my own, mm-hmm. what I consider the, my own excellence and what I expect mm-hmm. for myself. Gotcha. So, I mean, we're talking about the rule of 72. Do you mind? Cause I mean, some people may understand that, but I mean, that's really the bread and butter of investments. Yeah, if you, if yeah. you understand the rule of 72, you can't lose. Yeah. Right. So yeah, I, I normally I'll have a little chart out because yeah, yeah, yeah. it's kind of the formula, but just to break it down real basic terms, mm-hmm. the rule of 72 is just the formula used to determine how fast your money that you are contrib- or investing will double. Mm-hmm. Or if it will double, let's say you say, I want to have it at this point, mm-hmm. you can use that formula to say it's going to take this many years to make it double. Gotcha. You can kind of use that rule of 72 to determine the years it takes or to determine the type of return you have to get for it to double within that mm-hmm. period of time. And it's just a formula that we use. And I don't know the formula by heart, but it's like maybe if we're trying to find out the rate that we need, we'll put mm-hmm. the years mm-hmm. that we're going to have it invested. Let's say we said 10 years and we want it to double and is divided by 72 and it gives us the interest rate you need, like, you know, whatever that ends up being, something to that effect. It's just a formula. Yeah. To add to that too, just, it works both ways. It works as far as your money growing or it works whether you have a mortgage or you have credit card debt, it works in either direction. So understanding if you have a higher interest rate, you could be paying more out. You're going to pay more out over a longer period of time or, and if it's a shorter period of time, you're going to have a higher interest rate. So. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, you're, you're saying pretty much like you're a 1099 contractor, right? Is your business set up like an LLC, a S corp, a C corp? No, no, no. So we're a partnership. Okay. Edward Jones, my business is a partnership. And as far as the major cor- corporations, like your Morgan Stanley's, your Merrill Lynch's and things mm-hmm. of that nature, they're all just salary. Well, they're sal- I say they're salary. They're not 1099, mm-hmm. but they get W-2s, et cetera. Mm-hmm. In my case, we're a partnership, so it just works a little different. Mm-hmm. I don't get a 1099. I get a W-2 as well, mm-hmm. but it's still a partnership. And so the longer you're in, the more assets you have, mm-hmm. the more things you do allow you to buy into that partnership, which in turn is very lucrative at the end of the day because you're benefiting from the success of the business. Okay. So, I mean, how does the equity share where is this something that let's say, you know, 40 years, 50 years down the road, you pass away, can your assets on the management enroll under your, your kids if they decide to get the same licenses as you or? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I could do that. If one of my children decided they wanted to be in this business, I can give them those assets today. You okay. know, they're mine. You know what I mean? I can mm-hmm. give them, they can come over and do that. And to be quite honest, I could open my own practice without the Edward Jones umbrella mm-hmm. and you know, I can't solicit. Mm. You always sign a disclosure that says you're not going to solicit mm-hmm. if you leave. Folks who want to follow me, I can let them know, hey, I'm leaving. Gotcha. And they can follow me and come with me. 
Mm-hmm. Now, Edward Jones is one that I really respect the way that we run our business mm-hmm. because it doesn't, for me, it doesn't make a lot of sense when you have someone that gives you all these resources mm-hmm. to be successful and you're still running your own business. You know, I set my own hours, I hire my own people and so forth. And they basically do the bookkeeping for me. Got you. you. Know what I mean, that's a win-win situation, right? Oh my God, it's great. And then I, I have all the access to the resources in terms of the research analysts, mm-hmm. compliance to make sure I'm within compliance yeah. with FINRA and SEC rules. You don't want to cross those things because it could be really detrimental to your business and to your livelihood. So mm-hmm. yeah. So anyway, that's what I would say in terms of that. I have a lot of colleagues who have children who have come into the business Mm -hmm. and they may give them $20 million to get started, or they may say I'm retiring and I'm going to do a retirement transition plan and give my child Mm -hmm. all of it. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. With that. So, I mean, by default, you were saying that you have life insurance. So I would think you would have like a series six, series seven license. I have a series seven. I have a series 66. I have state licenses. I think I'm licensed right now in about 30 states Okay, for both life insurance and for investments. And the six or seven allows me to be a fiduciary, basically, and allows gotcha. me to be able to give advice, counsel, mm-hmm. and to act on the behalf of my client. So when you were saying you open other locations, do you have a principal license as well? Do you need a principal license to be able to open up a new location? I don't have a principal license, okay. but you don't have to, from what I'm understanding, mm-hmm. I've not explored that option, but that, mm-hmm. from what I understand, you don't have to have the principal license to open your own. Okay. As long as you have those licenses, you're good to go. The seven and the 66. Gotcha. What I understand mm-hmm. now. But again, I don't quote me on that one because mm-hmm. that's not something I've explored. Gotcha. I'm just diving into this just stuff for our audience. You know, yeah. it's an entrepreneur. So just think about it. if you want to become a nurse, you got to get licensed, right? You want to drive a taxi, you got to get licensed. So if you want to take someone's money and their wealth and understand what to do with it, you have to have a license and you have to have maintenance of that license as well. Right. Continue education rolls into this. So that's just kind of where I was leading down with that to kind of just educate people on what you have to go through to be able to sit where you are currently. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I'm glad you brought that up because... First of all, those licenses are no joke. As you know, yeah, yeah. I think the 7 or the 66, it was an eight-hour exam. They stripped one you down. Them, <laughs> one of them is a six-hour exam. Yep. And because you are dealing with people's hmm. life savings, their money, their retirement, you know, if you want to get into this business, they're going to go through and dissect you with the fine-tooth comb. I mean, they yep. went back and asked me questions about things in high school. It was crazy. Mm-hmm. I just wasn't prepared for that mentally, like, oh man, y'all are really digging deep into my, who I am and whether I'm somebody who can, is morally fit Mm -hmm. to hand, to do this position, run this position, do this position. You mentioned also how, if you notice, I call my business, my practice, it is a practice, you know, and I tell people too, because people always think that, okay, I can go in, I'm going to invest on myself. It rarely works out for people when they do that. Some people it does, you know, obviously, because that's why you have day trading. That's why you have Mm -hmm. these different apps and things that people can do. But I'm always talking about if you consider your money to be important, Mm -hmm. just like your health, you're not going and operating on yourself, right? Mm -hmm. You're going to a a physician who's done the years of training and knows how to operate on Mm -hmm. you. Why would you not take that same sense of responsibility and care with somebody who's managing your finances. Take, let somebody do that. You're not going to operate on yourself. Don't just think that you understand and know things and you don't have any of these resources. And then you end up in a bad situation at the end of the day, allow somebody who's trained to do it, do those things. Mm. To your point, I think a lot of people are probably scared because one, it's the fear factor to not know what it would cost. And they have to understand if you're making money, right? then they have to be making money. <laughs> right. It's a right. bottom line period. The more right. money you make for them, the more money you're going to make for yourself. So Absolutely. if you end up making a million dollars, well, then by default, this person has to be making way more than that. Way more than that. And that's what people don't understand too, is first of all, you don't have to be rich to invest. Now, there are advisors, like I could tell, I could definitely turn mm-hmm. some people away. I have some advisors that if you don't have a half a million dollars, they won't work with you at all. Some firms say, if you don't have 250000 we won't work with you at all. Mm-hmm. But I got into this business because I, one, help my community, educate, mm-hmm. and get people to invest. I wanted that to happen. Mm-hmm. And so for me, 
you know, I do now have a little, you know, a threshold in terms of, look, if it's under that, I'm going to refer you to maybe a newer advisor. But if it's somebody I know or somebody who I want to just really want to help and I want to keep my eyes on their money and their finances, it doesn't matter how much you have. I'm going to work with you. Gotcha. So do you have a baseline? Do you have like, a? I mean, can somebody come to you with 500 or are you more like 5,000, 10,000? I mean, what's your range? Yeah. So preferably 25,000 is my starting point. Starting point. Yeah. But I say that, but then I take a lot of folks, 5,000 is probably the drop dead. Like I'm really not mm-hmm. doing much over 5,000 unless it's somebody very young and they want to get started. And I'll just say, you can do a hundred dollars a month. Mm-hmm. I do all of those things. But if you had, like, for example, if somebody comes to me, they've given me statements and I know they have a half a million dollars and then you want to give me 5,000, I'm not going to take that account. I'm going to say, nah, you know what? You stay where you are or you'll find, yeah. you can find someone else because it doesn't really benefit. You know, if you're not going to trust me with 5,000 of a half a million, mm-hmm. then you really don't trust me at that point. Yes, you know 100%. what I mean? I mean, it's... <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. And, and let's talk about really quick. You, you touched on another part yeah. about if they're making money. I have to make money. If I'm making money, they're making money. Right. So you're right. It behooves me, obviously, to grow your account because the way I get paid is a very small percentage. Mm-hmm. I get paid basically about one percent of your assets with me. Mm-hmm. That's if I'm managing the account. Now, if you don't want to manage the account and you're just saying I'm going to pay a commission, Mm-hmm. When I buy stocks, mutual funds, bonds, ETFs, etc., then you're going to pay a larger amount up front. Like, for example, you might pay me 2% for a stock buy. Mm-hmm. That's $2,000 you're going to put in a stock. I'm going to get $50 from that stock buy. Mm-hmm. I'm not getting rich off of one person. No. Yeah. I'm making my money off of the collection of the mm-hmm. collective of assets and clients. And then of course, the biggest way I make money or, or is to get referrals and, mm-hmm. and so forth. That's where all my clients basically come from. Or public appearances for me, that's been very good for me as well. Public speaking. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, like the statement always goes, I mean, money like speed, right? So if you're going to try to shortchange somebody by giving them 1% and that's going to take that 5,000 going back to the rule of 72 would probably take 72 damn years right. to actually <laughs> double at a particular interest versus they put, you know, Half a million in there. Exactly. So, exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's a snowball effect, pretty much. Exactly. Exactly. Gotcha. Gotcha. Right. What's the worst experience you ever had dealing with moving funds and moving money with clientele? Like, what's the worst thing you've ever experienced in this business? That's a really good question. I, I have to think about that for a split second. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've been fortunate. I haven't had anything earth shattering happen to me, even when the market has crashed. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm trained enough to be able to advise people accordingly. And if I can hold, you know, tell people, hey, now's not the time to sell. You know what I mean? And then a month or two months later, they see that, okay, I've made all that money back. I mean, like this just happened in March. Everything is crazy, right? March happened. uh, Coronavirus came. The market plummeted. Worse has been in uh, since 08, basically. Mm -hmm. We've had a 45% return since that date. So all that's happened, you've made your money back. And most of my clients are mm-hmm. up for the year about 10%. Mm-hmm. And that's talking about an array of clients from conservative to aggressive. Mm-hmm. You know, I think the smallest I've seen doing my annual reviews for folks over the last month or so is somebody might be up 5%. You know, and that's like a small return compared to some that are up 15%. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But even at that 5%, right? I mean, even at that 5%, if you look at a basic savings account, it's like, it's not even a percent. It's it's a fraction of percent. No, it's it's point zero. Most basic savings accounts, all the major banking institutions, Mm -hmm. you're probably getting 0.01, 0.02. I mean, you're not getting a return at all. Mm -hmm. So what I'm telling you is, yeah, I got a conservative client who may be in bonds Mm -hmm. or bond funds, you know, Mm -hmm. very conservative investments. And even the market has dropped on us so dramatically mm-hmm. where we've gone into the first bear market in what was 08, 08 to now, what is that? 12 years, 12 years. And those folks are still up for the year at 5%. So yeah, it makes sense to be invested, but it makes sense to be invested wisely. Like mm-hmm. don't just jump on 
and that's the biggest thing that people make a mistake on doing is they say, oh, this is hot. Well, if everybody knows it's hot, everybody's on it. So it's not going to jump. Yeah, the, so the return is quality yeah. investments yep. that are going to do well, do whatever weather, do whatever dips and turns that mm. the market makes, you know. So I think, I mean, you're, you're a really good example because, I mean, what people don't realize about the market is that there's more than one way to make money. You can make money when it's on a run, right? You can make money when it's down a short of stock and you can make money when the margins are equal yeah. and just understanding that yeah, diversification. Yeah. yeah. Different you, ways. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, if you want to just touch bases on that, I mean, right now, obviously in COVID, right? Everybody's like, Oh my God, pull out, pull out, pull out the market. But when they don't realize people that have the wealth, they're waiting for you to pull out so you can short the stock. So everything that they're making could triple and quadruple in a short yes. time. So the biggest shift of wealth is the impatient to the patient. Mm -hmm. So like you said, the people with money, they know that the market is coming back. It always has and always will. I always show this chart that I have. I wish I had it up today. But it's this chart that I show that starts out with $10,000 and 19. It goes all the way back to like 1933 or something like mm -hmm. that to last year, to the end of 2019, right? And that $10,000, and we use this, I use this chart because it illustrates the up and down of the market and different things that have happened in, in the world, whether it's the Vietnam War, the Korean War, World War I, World War II, President Nixon being impeached, 9-11. Other pandemics as well. <laughs> I was just about to say other pandemics, all these different things and that 10,000 has still persevered. It's going to go up and down, right? Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, that $10,000 today is worth $175 million, which is crazy to me because it's all it's doing is giving you a 7% annual return. It's just a mutual, it's a mutual fund that I use regularly. It's a regular mutual fund, but the market continues to grow. You know what I mean? And that's how money works. That's how the market works. Mm -hmm. and that, we call it a mountain chart because even though it does go up and down, it always it's still climbs. goes up. It still yeah. rises up. It's that trajectory. Mm -hmm. So I think you broke down compound. I mean, what you just broke down was the other part of rule saying to understanding compound interest is not in the power of time yeah. and compounding interest. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think people don't realize that. Dividends. Oh, man, I hammer that home at every presentation, mm -hmm. every face to face. When I have somebody here in my office, we talk about the importance of leaving the money alone, leaving it invested. The mm -hmm. best thing you can do with your 401k is just have it invested wisely. Mm -hmm. And don't touch it. You know, we all tend to use that as a lot of people tend to use that as, oh, I got to my car broke down. I need to dip into my 401k. Nah, nah if, if you didn't have it, what would you do? Yeah, you've you got to leave the money alone. That's how the compounded interest works. Mm -hmm. And that's how your wealth continues to grow. Time is your friend. Mm -hmm. If I could sing, I'd sing that song. Time is on, on your side. side. Yes, it <laughs> is. Yes, it is. <laughs> I can't stress that enough. It's important mm -hmm. to just start saving no matter where you are. If you've not started, I don't care if you're five or 50, start saving, mm -hmm. putting money away and don't touch it. Leave it alone. Just mm -hmm. stick with your strategy or your plan and you will accumulate money. That's all this is. All investing is, is saving and getting a good return on it or getting mm -hmm. a better return. Yeah, you brought up a solid strategy about reinvesting the dividends. So the dividends are being cashed out, but they're cashed out back into reinvestment. So it's, it's self-funding itself. It's just self-funding. It just goes back and you're yeah. buying more shares when you do that. And so, yeah, just for example, right now, you know, and I'm not making a recommendation, mm, but yeah. just for example, Apple stock splits this week on the 30th is going to split. It's gone back up to 500. Well, mm. just five years ago, it had made it up to almost 800 or so. Mm. It split seven for one mm. and had gone down to $93. I was getting a lot of my clients in at that time. Mm. And prior to it splitting and after it splitting. Mm. Now, you know, one of my clients was who I love to death. It was like, um, I don't trust that Apple, whatever, whatever. I like, well, it's a good company. It's a great company. We're going to put a portion in. I convinced her to put a portion in. Mm. She's like, this isn't going to go back up to $200. I was like, $200. I was like, it's going to go to $200. Then it's going to go to $300. Mm. And as you see now, it's at five. I think it might be at $500 today. Well, imagine back in 1999, 2000, when it was $5. <laughs> Crazy. But my point is, though, you didn't have to get into quality mm. that far ago. You could get into it today and still benefit from it. 
You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Anyway, the investments being that during that time frame when I initially bought that investment for them five years ago, it's been reinvesting, reinvesting, buying more shares, growing. That Apple stock between or just over the last five years has probably averaged about a 20% return Jesus. annually. 20, 22% annually. So now I had to change my seat. Again. Look, now it's splitting again. <laughs> is going to continue to accelerate, which is done over the last couple of weeks once the news of the split has come out. Mm-hmm. But once it does split, people are going to, it doesn't really change the dollar amount, but it, what it does is people feel like they it's can cheaper. afford it now. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so now more people are buying it. So now it just continues to shoot back up again mm-hmm. and the cycle starts all over. So. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing with, with splitting stocks. And I mean, since you brought it up, I mean, we should just talk about that just to educate people to understand what splitting a stock is. So if you have a stock that starts off at $100 and it climbs to $200 and it splits, now it's back at $100. But what happens is the quantity of the stock, right? Let's say there was 10,000 shares. Well, it just splits okay. those shares. It doesn't add any more shares to it. Essentially, it just splits those shares in half. It splits. But when you're looking at it, let's say they had 100 shares. Mm. Now split two for one. Now you have 200 shares. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. Tesla's doing the same. Gotcha. So it doesn't mean that they put more shares in the market. It's just no. that they're splitting the shares that are already correct. in existence. No, you're right. You're correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. Gotcha. So, I mean, we always hear about the 20 years it takes somebody to become a success story. And in the beginning of this conversation, you kind of give a little bit of your journey. But how long did it really take you to get to where you are? Well, I'm going to start this part, this chapter, mm-hmm. I would say seven years ago. Okay. You know what I mean? Now, it's definitely took the entire 25 years of my professional career to get where I am. If you're just going to be frank about mm-hmm. learning, build up. growing and the progression and so forth. But let's just talk about building this business mm-hmm. Starting seven years ago from scratch, mm. you know what I'm saying? Yeah, again, seven years. Thankfully, I was able to sort of start fast mm-hmm. in terms of you know, for whatever reason, people tended to come to me very early on in my in opening my practice mm. and trusting me early, just like any other small business, new business, you're going to have your growing pains, it's going to be some difficult times. So, I did have sort of a roller coaster ride. But over the last of that seven, I would say over the last three years, it's just been really, really a, a, hmm. a smooth incline, a smooth ride. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's definitely hmm. positive outcome. So, I mean, what's one thing you would do differently to get you to where you are a lot faster if you could do it all over again? Ooh, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know that I would do anything. I always say I wish I would have made this move mm-hmm. early. I'm not a spring chicken, right? Mm-hmm. So I wish I would have made this move a little earlier in my professional career, mm-hmm. but I was comfortable mm-hmm. with my roles at the Art Institute, my role, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? I was in a management position. I made a good salary. Mm-hmm. And for me, to, for me to make the decision to come out on something that wasn't guaranteed, mm-hmm. you know, and I had the opportunity earlier. Edward Jones had actually pursued me mm-hmm. when I was at the Art Institute for quite some time. And I was like, I'm not really interested in commissions only or whatever you Mm. want to call it, you know, and building that business. I was very comfortable. Mm. But once things set into motion that put me into this position, it just became apparent that this Mm. was where I was supposed to be and where my success, Mm. you know, blossomed. I mean, since I've been here, man, I've been, I've traveled the world. I've been blessed financially. I've been blessed culturally. Mm-hmm. I've been blessed to meet a, a diverse, different amount of, you know, different types of people. I've been blessed to be able to contribute back to causes that I believe in. So the path, the journey, I would say really took, it started 25 years ago, mm-hmm. but it really kind of took shape on where I was headed seven years ago. Gotcha. Gotcha. So with that being said, right. You talked about your age, and if you don't mind me just asking, because you said you started this business seven years ago, and I just want to ask this question because there's always somebody out there that may be 18 years old or somebody that may be 40 or 50 years old and may think that they're at the end of the rope and they got to stay where they are. If you don't mind me asking, how old were you seven years ago when you started your practice? So I'll be 51 in October. So what does that make me? I was 44, 
I guess. Got you. So you were 44. And the reason why I ask that, because I kind of know how old you are, right? Yeah, so yeah, yeah, being yeah. that 44, and I just turned 40. So yeah. imagine if I decided to say, you know, the hell with everything I'm doing. Yeah. And I've done a lot in my lifetime, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've yeah. done a lot. Yeah. So in four more years, I could be like the hell with everything. And I just want to start completely from scratch. Right. And still make it. I just want people to understand that it's never too late. It is not. And I'm a part of a um, recruiting team here at Edward Jones. So I, I recruit um, advisors and I also kind of put an emphasis on recruiting diverse advisors because it's not enough black advisors, period. We're less than 1% in the entire country. And I'm talking about across all firms. Black advisors are less than 1%. Some firms do a lot better job than others. I think we at Jones are at like three or 4%, something like that, something crazy like that. But I think it's important to have people that look like you helping you with things that are important to you, you know what I mean? And understanding sort of what's important to you, what your journey is and things of that nature. And so I definitely try to recruit people who are capable and are interested in doing this, interested in running their own business. Now, the flip side to that, this isn't for everyone. Mm -hmm. I've seen a lot of people come and go, you know, of all different type of backgrounds and ethnicities and education, Mm -hmm. because it does take a certain DNA to be able to get people again, to trust you very quickly. Mm -hmm. To me, that's the number one thing is you have to be able to communicate with folks, but you have to get them. They have to trust you. Mm -hmm. You have to be able to build rapport very quickly because if you're not, you're not going to be here long. I mean, mm-hmm. to be quite honest, most people, I think the attrition is crazy is a crazy number, but most people who start as an advisor are out within the first year mm-hmm. just because you can't continue to find wealth at a steady clip to continue to sustain your business. Mm-hmm. And again, I've been blessed and fortunate to where that I started out doing well early, which kept me in. So when I hit my bumpy road, I already sort of had some hay in the barn. You know what I mean? Where it wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. You were living off the renewables at that point. Exactly. I was able to continue Mm -hmm. the residual income, et cetera. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, I mean, do you come from entrepreneurial background? Was your mom, your dad, anybody, aunts, uncles in your family had the hustle or you just kind of picked it up? I don't come from an entrepreneur background, but I will say I come from a hustler background. Okay. My family has always, well, let's go back. My grandfather on my mother's side, we're from South Carolina, right? Okay. And my grandfather owned a farm. And so, yeah, if you want to look at it like that, he owned a yeah. tobacco farm, but he also had pigs that he took to slaughter, you know what I mean? And my grandmother was selling greens and peas on the side and, you know what I'm saying, growing yeah, so You got hustle in your blood. We got hustle in our, in our blood. <laughs> yeah. And my mother has that same work ethic. Mm-hmm. So we got hustled, but I wouldn't say an entrepreneurial background from my immediate parents, mm-hmm. but definitely have that hustler spirit. Hmm. Gotcha. Do you think that was a factor to your success? Just thinking about it, just you reliving that moment just now when you made that statement. Do you think that was part of your yeah. success? Absolutely. Yeah. You got to go get it. Hmm. This is not a job. And I'll say this too. This isn't for the faint of heart. Oh, you no. got to be ready to go get it. You got to be able to take rejection as well. Mm. People call it, a, I'm, you know, people do are successful in different ways. They take their path to success in different ways. For me, I've never been what I would call a good salesperson, mm-hmm. but I've always been, I'm never scared to work. I've worked my entire life, but I love what I do first, which is important to be passionate about what you do. But what am I trying to say here? I love what I do. I'm passionate about what I do. You know, and I think that's what's important in terms of, uh, for me, it was being able to, again, going back to build that rapport. That's that superpower I was talking about, again, mm-hmm. being able to build that rapport has what, what has really the thing that made me successful. It's not being able to sell people. Mm-hmm. It's being able to communicate and build rapport with people. Yeah, so it's ironic that you said it, because I mean, I, I don't think you see it that way, but I think part of your superpower is that you are a storyteller, and it comes from you mm-hmm. rhyming, right? From being an MC, mm-hmm. being able to deliver a message in a particular fashion, you're using it in a different light. Like when somebody's talking about, I got a million bucks, and they're like, what are you going to do with it? You're going to tell them the steps, the procedures of how to move that money, how to grow that money. It's your rhyming, you're flowing, you're depicting yeah, a story yeah, for them to yeah, visually yeah. see from point A to point B. Yeah, yeah. And you're absolutely right. Now, that also attributes, I have had this conversation Mm. with some of my buddies 
about being in front of a crowd and talking about investments. Mm. I'm comfortable talking to a crowd. You know what I mean? I'm comfortable being in front of a crowd, maybe because of that background as well. Mm. But you're right. Um, storytelling is very important. Mm. Making people visualize what this money is going to look like for them in the future. Mm. Or maybe they're trying to visualize what that goal should be and me helping them to paint a picture of what that looks like. Mm. Definitely. Great point, though. I hadn't <laughs> yeah. really thought about it like that, but you're absolutely right. I love that point. Cool, cool. So how do you juggle your work life with your family life? You know, again, this is a, a career that allows you to do that. I, from the beginning, mm-hmm. my kids have always been involved in sports and mm-hmm. very active. Back then, I'm able, I've been able to like make my time. You know what I mean? I can schedule. If I want to take off in golf every Friday, I can do that because this job allows me to do that. This type of career allows mm. me to do that. And being here at a firm that really prioritizes your family balance, like a work family balance has been helpful because so they're not, again, you don't really have a boss, but you know, you still got to hit numbers in order for them to continue to say it's good for us to continue to invest in you. Right. Yeah. Those are the things that have allowed me to have a good balance of uh, family work balance. I mean, I, I'm at all my kids events. Mm. I'm at all their milestone, you know, things that are happening. And I said to you before we started recording, my youngest daughter is having a, mm. having a, she's in, probably in labor right this minute. She's at the hospital mm. with my second grandchild just in that all's happened this year. So you know, I'm able to be there for those things. Funny you brought up Mecca because, you know, I had an opportunity to work for Mecca. It was kind of like you passed the torch because right. I mean, a lot of people don't realize, like when I was in school, you was hiring me as a freelancer to do some of your design work. Right. So, you know, 20 years later and then your daughter shows up at my doorstep one day and it was like how funny how that ecosystem just works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I mean, to your daughter's credit, I mean, she's I would think that in your business structure, she is a business savvy monster. So I think once it gets to the point, I mean, you're going to probably be able to help her invest that money to grow that for your grandkids and your great grandkids. We're already there. We're already there. So, yeah, she has her accounts open Mm -hmm. as soon as her child is. So my first grandchild was born January 12th from my middle daughter, Aziza. Mm -hmm. And um, he had his account. We opened his account. As soon as he got his social security card and mm. I put money in it, my wife puts money in it. And of course his mom and dad put money in it. Mm. Right. And so same thing will happen with Mecca, maybe even on a bigger level because she has more resources mm. at this point. I'm teaching her about mm. investing and so forth. But again, she's like, I'm not a tra- personal trainer, mm. so I'm not going to tell her how to do her job, but she trusts me to say, mm. well, dad, take this and, less invested and make me some money. You know what I mean? So yeah, Mm -hmm. we've already started that. So yeah, absolutely. Gotcha. Gotcha. And also being a small business, Mm -hmm. you know, making sure she understands the importance of having something you can write off in terms of a a IRA for her. You know what I mean? You can do up to Mm $54,000, you know, in a SEP IRA, whereas in a traditional or Roth, you can only Mm -hmm. do 6,000 if you're under 50. So I'm like, okay, let's get together. You can do more than this six. You know, and whatever you put into this, we can write this off this year, you know, for 2021. Mm-hmm. So. Got you. So as far as your grandson, I mean, what, what kind of account? I mean, this is 501s and I mean, what flavor did you start for him? There's 529s and custodials are, are basically the yeah. two accounts. Yep. I have him in a custodial account. And most of my mm-hmm. clients, I, I typically recommend custodial unless they're mm-hmm. just adamant, you know, my child's going to college. But mm-hmm. you just don't know for me. I'm mm-hmm. just like, you know. And it's limited on how you can invest the 529. It goes to a yep. particular fund families, um, funds, mutual funds, mm-hmm. you know, that they have set aside for 529. Whereas a custodial account, I can open that. The benefit of the 529 is when you use it, if it's for college, it comes out tax free, mm-hmm. basically like a Roth. Yep. But I say, let's put it into a custodial account. Mm-hmm. And let's grow it stocks that are going to grow at a faster rate. This kid is young. So I'm going to mm-hmm. put him in Microsoft, Apple, you know, mm-hmm. Tesla, whatever. Blue stocks. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Put them in some great stocks, even or, or things that they're interested in Disney, Nike, if they're athletes, things of that nature, Adidas, mm-hmm. those type of things, stocks that they know. Cause that way when they're young and, and they come in, I can engage them and say, look, you own a part of Nike. We've put in $5,000 over the last 
you know, five years maybe, hmm. but it's worth $12,000. So you've made $7,000 off of this, right? Hmm. So we can show them, Hey, it's important to invest in things you're familiar with. Hmm. I don't like people to invest in things that they have no clue what it is. They just heard it's a good stock or a good company, but you've never heard of the company. To me, that's not very wise because you don't know what the success of that company will be. Mm-hmm. That's more of a gamble. Now, no risk, no reward, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, you may get rewarded big. If you take on more risk, you could lose more as well. So you got to kind of weigh where you are, where your risk tolerance is in that in that thing. But anyway, I know I'm getting off on the on no, no. custodial account yeah, and I yeah. start talking about risk and but yeah. yeah, his name is Zaire and he's in a custodial account mm. and we buy stocks for him in that account, gotcha. which I do with most of my grandparents mm. who open accounts for their kids, mm. for their grandchildren. Yeah, but I mean, I knew when you, you talk about wealth, and you talk about family, I knew your passion was going to shine through in that moment. So you kind of just fed into it. What's your morning habits, your morning routines? I've talked to, you know, a couple dozen people at this point in time and nine, ten of them is coffee, working out. Like, what's your morning routines? Yeah, so I'm not a morning person. (laughs) I'm usually trying to roll up out of the bed, Mm. man. But since I've been a little more focused on my eating habits, Mm. I'll just get up, have, a again, a cup of coffee or maybe a cup of green tea or something like that. Mm. My wife, being since this pandemic has started, has been working from home. So she'll get up and and make a a healthy breakfast or I'll get up and do some brand cereal or something like that. Mm. My staff knows that I'm really don't do appointments earlier than 10 a.m., right? That's my first, whether it's a phone appointment, whether it's an in-person, 10 a.m. is my appointment Mm. time. So I try to be in the office by nine um, most Mm. days. If I have something earlier, then I'll come in earlier. But, you know, if if something has to happen at that point, I'll do that. Sometimes I have different meetings I have to attend that are earlier. But Mm -hmm. typically, I'm in the office about nine you know, I'm my first meeting is usually at about 10. Gotcha. Gotcha. So where do you see yourself in 20 years? You know what? This is the type of career where you don't have to retire, honestly. You're, you can keep working well into retirement age. Mm-hmm. 20 years, man, I'll probably be still running my office. How old will I be? Oh, man. Yeah, 20 years. I might be looking at retirement, getting ready to retire. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Again, it's a passion. And I might be running my office with a larger staff mm-hmm. and maybe coming in once or twice a week. You know what I mean? I gotcha. know some of my colleagues who are at that age and typically they sitting by the pool or they're on the golf course yeah. most days of the week. But mm-hmm. they may spend two or three days in the office. And then I have some who are workaholics who are older and still come in five, six, seven days a week. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Even though the market's only open five. So me, I, I don't do that because I'm already like, Five days a week, I'm in here. I do Saturdays by appointment only. If mm. somebody definitely want, needs a Saturday and it's worth both our while, then I'll do a Saturday appointment. But I have no problem celebrating my victories. I have no problem taking a Friday off to go golf and things of that nature. But most times I'm here in the office Monday through Friday for sure. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, what tools do you use in your business on a day-to-day basis? I have my kind of my watch list that I watch mm-hmm. on uh, stocks and bonds and mutual funds. We have all types of different research reports that come through, you know, and I kind of filter through mm-hmm. the things that I want to filter through and look at and read that things that are pertinent to sort of my business and my clients. But I'm always looking at the market. We have a really good system in terms of putting in trades and things of that nature. But my day normally looks like really just talking to people and finding out what it is they mm-hmm. want to do and then putting together a plan for them. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So what final words of wisdom do you have for anybody that's coming up as an entrepreneur that wants to kind of follow into your footsteps? Well, I think very quickly you learn whether it's for you or not. Remember, I said this isn't mm-hmm. for everyone. So I think very quickly you learn. For me, it was the best career move I've ever made. It changed my life in a substantial way. I mean, my my the quality of living for my family, Mm. uh, my immediate family. And then now I can even see for the legacy that it's going to leave behind has changed dramatically. So what I would say is if you're interested in it, pursue it, Mm -hmm. step out on faith, which is what I did at the time. I stepped out on faith and said, look, I'm going to do this because I don't know if I said this part, but when I did start working 
for that company that did credentials mm-hmm. for financial planner, CFP credentials. Edward Jones was my client. They were, and I told you they were pursuing me at that time. Like, man, you should really do this. And I kept saying, I kept saying, no, nah, I'm not going to do that. I'm not, I'm not, I don't think that's for me until I finally said, you know what? I'm going to step out on faith. I'm going to just, I didn't even say that. Actually, somebody just said to me, just talk to some, talk to a recruiter. And I finally gave in and said, okay, I'll talk to him. Not in my mind, not thinking that I was going to move over and mm-hmm. actually do this. But after I talked to them and they said, well, why don't you just put in an application? And then the process started happening. And, mm-hmm. and then it was more and more like, okay, I, I actually want this. Mm-hmm. Then I kind of said, if I do do this, I knew I had that I was stepping out on faith. Got it. So, I mean, how can people get in contact with you? Got a Facebook, a website, email address? Yeah, I wish I had something up to share the screen with. But bottom line is you can call my office and let me give you that number. It's mm-hmm. 770-466-0031. My hours are 830 to 5. You call my office. Somebody will be here. Sanja is my administrative assistant, branch office administrator. She handles everything in the office, handles my schedule. So, again, 770 770- Four six six zero zero three one. My email address is tondaleo.day at edwardjones.com. Hmm. Hopefully they'll be able to see that when it's broadcast. Yep. And honestly, I tell folks, if all else fails, just Google me at Tondaleo Day. Usually the Edward Jones will pop right up or Tondaleo Day, Edward Jones, and it'll definitely pop up. And you, we have a website. You can hmm. come to my website. And you say you're pretty much licensed in about 30 states. So you're essentially nationwide at this point. Pretty much. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Any, uh, the only states, of course, I'm not. It's just places where you don't really find many folks who are here or who are going to hear about me, which is like Hawaii. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, I had a client in Hawaii, but um, mm. I was going to say um, like Montana, mm. those places. I don't have anybody out there, Minnesota or Iowa mm. or anything like that, that northern part of the world. But I have gotcha. people in California and Washington and mm-hmm. um, Colorado and Texas and all along the East Coast. Cool. Cool. So I got a bonus question for you. Um, who would you want to spend 24 hours with, dead or alive, uninterrupted? Oh, man. I started a book club here with mm-hmm. the diverse advisors here that were Jeremy Jones. Started with about five people that attended the first one. Now we have about 30 that come, Hmm. 30 black advisors. We have a dinner. I issue a book out. And so I always give questions like this. And this was a question I gave. Hmm. It's the same question. But I think I said, give me three people that you'd Hmm. like to have dinner with. So you narrowing that thing down is kind of like, okay, you know, if I'm going to say one person, I could go a few different ways, but you know who I would love to talk to maybe in their prime is Ali. Muhammad Ali is one of my heroes, a person that was obviously old at his own sport, but he was involved obviously with society and was not going to the Vietnam War and losing his belt and championship during that time. But then also just to know how he, his lifestyle was because he dealt with a lot of celebrities, females, and all of that. And just how he moved through all of those things, through that notoriety, through that fame, how he maintained his um, respectability as a figure, as an icon, through all of that. You know, of course, he's human. He made mistakes just like everybody else. So I think it would just be an incredible conversation just to hear some backstories. I love history. So there's a few people I would love, like to say, I mean, of course, Jesus would be, you know, having a conversation Mm. with Jesus would be crazy. Mm. Tupac and his Casado, that's one of my guys. I want to know how Tupac would, bro, what what was going on in your head when this happened? (laughs) I love now that we're in this pandemic, Mm. we've been blessed to hear stories on things like podcasts and things of that nature that we've never been privy to. And like the verses, hearing backstories on songs, when you Mm. see this verses um, thing that Swiss Beats and Timberland got going on. So there's a lot of people I would love to have. I mean, I think Snoop would be incredible to sit with just to hear some of his stories. He seems to have some just background on everybody in hip hop. Mm-hmm. And some outside of hip hop, you know, he's encountered and he's going to be real transparent about what's going on, you know, what he experienced. So there's a lot. But if I'm going to just settle on one, I'm going to just go with my man's Muhammad Ali. 
Got it. Got it. Got it. Malcolm X would probably be a close second, though. Well, I mean, they were around the same time period, so. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, Definitely. So this is the time in in the podcast I usually give the microphone to you. And then if you have any questions to me, man, shoot. We kind of talked briefly, but we didn't. I was just curious. Why would you select me to be on the podcast? What do you think mm-hmm. I could bring? I brought to the table in terms of the of this conversation. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, everybody that I, I pick for this podcast, and this is just like season one. Season one is more so kind of like my extended inner circle, like everybody that I've actually dealt with on a business B two B, or I was influenced by in one time or other within my last twenty thirty years. You know, saying as that I can remember more so on an adult side. So for you, it was like. I seen your journey. You see what I'm saying? I was there with you and I was in school, but you were working there. And then I seen you leave and then I seen you start. Then, you know, when I was doing the series six and then you had just finished your seven, it was a lot of like parallel stuff, different directions. Yeah. 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 So yeah. I definitely, under, I was like, yo, you'd be great because I'm really big on diversity. So uh, this podcast is really about multiple different backgrounds. I've had people from radio shows. I had people that own storefronts. I've had people that were just millionaires because they filed a patent. So giving the diversity to understand that there's a million ways to make a million dollars. No doubt. And hopefully that one of my guests would give somebody an opportunity listening to understand that, okay, maybe the last guy wasn't, but not this guy is. If it's not this guy, maybe this girl, she's the one that's going to make you wake up and realize that you don't have to work a nine to five. Right. You could start your own business and there's a million different ways of starting your own business and growing it from point zero to a hundred million or to a billion dollars. And that's the reality of how everybody got there. They started from nothing. And even if they started with wealth under their belt, they still had to use that wealth to create the next thing. So that's why I got you on. Okay. Appreciate that. Who is your audience on your podcast? Who are you reaching first? If that's not the ultimate goal, what's the ultimate goal of who to reach and how big you want your podcast to be? So the one thing I've always learned just by becoming a marketer over the years and becoming more and more into marketing is you're going to have to hone into an audience. Now, obviously, the default and the person that would say everybody is a person that's not going to get anybody, right? They're not focused, right. Yeah. So my focus group, honestly, is I would say middle-aged men and females. So when I say middle, I'm talking like maybe like 35 to about 55. Because okay. that's the age group of where people are kind of like, you know what? I've been doing this job forever. Right. It's paid my bills, but now I want more. Or like in your case, you know, you're saying you was like 44 and you was like, boom, right. it clicked. Uh, right, right, right. I'm working for somebody else, making them rich. But like, what? I need to make a move. Like, if I'm going yeah. to lose all this good talent, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? I need to be doing it for the benefit of my family and myself. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah so and that, and that demographic is, is just so many. It's kind of like when you look at wealthy versus middle class. Well, mm-hmm. there's way more small business owners than there are million dollar corporation owners, billion right. dollar corporation owners. Right. So if you're targeting a wide audience and I'm targeting, you know, obviously there's 20 year olds out there that can listen to this podcast. Sure. Your daughter, Mecca, for example, she's a demographic that's different to her age group. That's unique that she's a little bit more seasoned as a veteran as far as business. Yeah. Yeah. As far as business. Right. So like the terminology that we're talking about, and that's the beauty of this podcast is that you and I talk about financial services, Right. And another podcast, we could be talking about audio engineering. And another right. one, we could talk about graphic design. So right. just the diversity between the conversations is giving a blanket to that demographic. Right, right. No doubt. Okay. Yeah, and I love the title. Is it Boss Uncaged, right? Yep. That's, that's the title of the podcast. Yeah, yeah. Boss Uncaged. Now, what your books say, Uncaged Trailblazer. Yeah, this one. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's dope. Could you talk a little bit about that real quick before we close? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my original book series before that one, because I had a, a two-part book series before, the title was cool and it was more for a younger generation. But now it's just like to target the demographic that I'm going after has to be a little bit more, not so much in your face, but mm-hmm. everybody has a caged animal inside of them dying to get out. Yeah. Hence why I have a lion on the cover. When you think about beasts in our world, the lion kind of represents like the ultimate animal. I mean, you have wolves, you have dragons, but a lion is very wow. symbolic. So That's- to think that everybody has a lion or a lioness inside of them and you're a boss and you're trying to be uncaged. Yeah, trying yeah, to break right. out. So that's why the podcast and the book are all about being that boss and breaking out that show. Right, right. I love it. I love it. I love it. Well, yeah, I definitely appreciate you taking the time. I mean, I know you got a busy schedule. Your phone's been ringing off the hook near the end of this podcast. So I know you got to get back to work, but I definitely appreciate you, man. And I commend you for what you're doing. It's all good. I appreciate you having me, man. It's been a pleasure.
Definitely, man. Well, have a good one. All right, cool. Peace. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Boss Uncaged. I hope you got some helpful insight and clarity to the diverse approach on your journey to become an uncaged trailblazer. If this podcast helped you, please email me about it. Submit additional questions you would love to hear me ask our guests and or drop me your thoughts at asksagrant.com. Post comments, share, hit subscribe, and remember to become a boss on cage. You have to release your inner beast. S.A. Grant, signing off. Listeners of Boss Uncaged are invited to download a free copy of our host, S.A. Grant's insightful book, Become an Uncaged Trailblazer. Learn how to release your primal success in 15 minutes a day. Download now at www.sagrant.com slash bossuncaged.